Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Election Day is just seven days away. We often talk about the first Tuesday of November. And this year, of course, it's the second Tuesday because. Technically, it's the first Tuesday after the first Monday of November, uh, but it is just seven days away. And there's an important lesson beyond the headlines, beyond the big clickbaity headlines about polls. There's a lot of things that we should be thinking about in that final sprint before Election Day. Uh, polling can be important. The data can be really intriguing and interesting, but it often fails to capture those late momentum shifts. Uh, We've seen this happen before with races across the country. So what could this mean for the midterms this year and how should voters interpret late polling data? Uh, Bill Sher is a contributing editor, Politico magazine, a contributor to Real Clear Politics, a great thinker uh, when it comes to all things uh, polling and politics. And uh, Bill, thanks for joining us today. Great to be with you. Uh, Great piece on uh, Real Clear Politics, uh, talking about this idea and the fact that polls can't always detect late momentum. And so first, what should we be thinking about? We see a new poll pop up. What's the first thing we should be thinking as uh, as voters? Well, uh, I mean, as a voter, you should, you should think about the candidates and their issue positions before we think about polling. For sure. So, yeah, number one. <laughs> uh, but if you are a candidate of your party, you want to know where you stand. You want to know, are your messages connecting? If they're not, why not? Do you have to make adjustments? Uh, and, and for the rest of us, we're trying to just get our arms around what, what's the country thinking and feeling about where we are uh, as a nation. So you know, polling helps with all of that. Uh, but, you know, when we're talking about, you know, the horse race, uh, you'll see these little shifts one way or another in the final week. And sometimes you think, oh, I guess we know exactly what's going to happen. But a poll, we, we used to say this all the time, polling is a snapshot. Mm. Polling is never meant to be an absolute predictor of what's going to happen. And polling is, is taking place, you know, a few days prior to the release of the numbers. And things can happen in that last weekend. Things can happen in the last day. Yeah. Uh, because there's a flurry of activity of messaging on both sides and how that all gels with a particular set of undecided voters, you know, it's, it's a lot to ask a poll to be able to figure out for you. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's uh, I wanted to get your take on this, uh, given the fact that there is so much early voting now. How does that change all of this dynamic? Because now pollsters have got to figure out, well, who already voted, who 
uh, says they're going to vote? Who's still a likely voter? Uh, and how does that all play out, especially down the stretch? Well, you're seeing pollsters ask that question more and more. Have you voted already? And, and bring that data into, the, into their models. But, I, but there's still going to be late deciders. There's right. always going to be late deciders, undecided. You know, if you're, if you're a swing voter, you probably don't vote two weeks out. You might wait till the last minute. And so uh, the things that happen in a campaign at the last minute can still have an impact. Yeah. Uh, so give us some of those examples. You shared some, some great ones in there, some of these races where, you know, it looked like it was going one way or there was just this long, you know, all through the summer kind of trend and, and things flip at the end. So take us through uh, one or two of those and, and what we can learn from that. Well, the most dramatic one from 2020 is the main Senate race with Susan Collins. She is an incumbent senator, long known as a Republican moderate, but Maine with a, sort of a light blue state. And she was behind every single poll uh, and not terribly close. Uh, and some people look at that and say, well, the polls just must have been wrong. And maybe, maybe they were. It's hard to fully adjudicate that sort of thing. But some of the reporting afterwards said the Democratic ad campaign was very national. It was really tying Susan Collins to Donald Trump and the National Party. And then Collins in the last month countered that with a very Maine-centric campaign with a beloved a journalist, a TV journalist, as her uh, main spokesperson, and attacked the Democratic campaign as being funded by out-of-state dark money. And so there's some anecdotal evidence that that finally got to that middle-of-the-road main voter, and they turned on the Democrat uh, at the last minute. Mm. So that's a very dramatic example. Other examples, you, you see races where people are behind by one, two, three points, and they overcome that in the, in the last weekend. So just because you're seeing a little bit of an edge for one candidate, you can't say, well, that person has it in the bank. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's amazing how all of those things can shift. And as you mentioned, it is a, uh, a poll is a snapshot. It is not a uh, uh, something you can you can bank everything forward on. And, and that becomes a, a real interesting part of the process, especially for campaigns and uh, campaign operatives as they as they try to navigate. Where do you spend those scarce resources? down the home stretch uh, of a race. And I actually want to go back to the, the model that you, you just shared with Susan Collins, because I think we've seen that uh, in a number of ways. I think we saw that in the Virginia governor's race last year, where Terry McAuliffe was very much a national campaign. Uh, Governor Yunkin went to a very localized uh, issue campaign. Uh, are we seeing that more as a, as a trend? Uh, are there any uh, things that you're picking up uh, as you look at all of this nationally? Well, you're definitely seeing, I mean, I mean, this may not be a bona fide wave election. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's not, those local candidates, those local issues, uh, the candidate who has a better feel of that particular district and state, that might be the candidate that can overcome, you know, a wave type uh, dynamic. And you're certainly, you're, you're seeing certain Republican candidates in the Northeast being very moderate on abortion. They're, they're not trying to argue that they're pro-life. You, saw, you see one candidate in uh, 
the western part of Connecticut. The, his ad say pro-choice, mm. even though he supported the Supreme Court overruling of Roe v. Wade. But he says, hey, I think it should be left to the states, and I don't want to touch it, uh, pass a federal ban. So that's good enough for him to say pro-choice in the ad, and that might make a Connecticut voter saying, eh, he's not going to be that far to the right, and I'm mad about inflation, so I'll, I'll vote for him. It's, yeah. it's the polling indicates he's competitive because of that. Yeah. That's a good example of local tailoring uh, that might very well pan out for a Republican in that case. Yeah. Are there other races that you're watching with some of these uh, kind of late shifts? We know the Republicans clearly had advantage early in the year. The Democrats had a really nice summer uh, with some wins and, and seemingly some some momentum. Now things seem to be shifting back uh, towards the Republicans. Any particular races you're watching uh, as that relates to that kind of shift towards the uh, towards the end? Well, I think the Arizona governor's race is absolutely huge uh, between Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs. Uh, and there's a lot of factors here to try to get, get your head around. But I think the biggest one is, uh, you know, Carrie Lake is riding anger about inflation and crime and immigration. And Katie Hobbs is pushing uh, abortion rights uh, and threats to democracy. And I think that latter one, threat to democracy, they're probably going to lean in harder in the last days because Carrie Lake is saying things like, I'll accept the results if I win. Uh and I think there's evidence that voters you know, voters are mad about inflation and worried about threats to democracy. <laughs> and so how do they weigh those two things? Which one takes primary emphasis? Yeah. You know, most recent polling would say probably inflation. Yep. But is there going to be enough in those last days? Will, will there be enough Republicans? You saw, I don't know if you saw that 60 Minutes report over the weekend where some Republicans were critical of Carrie Lake and the and others on the Republican slate for not accepting the 2020 election results. Yeah, so Did that break through in the last days to make that needle tip just a little bit towards Katie Hobbs's way. Yeah, so interesting. And uh, just staying there in Arizona, uh, we're seeing some of that trickle into the Senate race there uh, between, uh, of course, the incumbent uh, Senator Kelly, uh, Democrat, and uh, Masters as the Republican challenger. That that race seems to be tightening. We also heard today that the Libertarian candidate uh, in that Senate race dropped out. Uh, be interesting to see if that uh, trickles anything to to tighten that race or or how that connects with the governor's race. Uh, that's an interesting thing. Yeah, I mean, I think Blake Masters, similar to Carrie Lake and some other people in other Senate races like Herschel Walker in Georgia, or Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania, they were much weaker in the summer, uh, not just because of Democratic uh, upset over uh, the abortion decision, uh, but also because they're kind of weak candidates. They're, they're, they're untested. They've controversial things in their past. Uh, and they were struggling. But they've consolidated that Republican base. That puts them in the game, at mm. least. And the question is, can they get over the hump and get those last few swing voters? Blake Masters still, still seems to lag a few points behind Carrie Lake, who, if nothing else, is very well practiced in front of a TV <laughs> camera. Uh, and Blake Masters is not as well practiced and has said more controversial things than than Carrie Lake has. But will there be enough anger about inflation and crime and enough blame affixed to Democrats broadly that it drags on a guy like Mark Kelly? You see some anecdotal reporter yeah. reports from voters saying, "You know, I like Mark Kelly. You know, I don't I don't necessarily blame him, but I'm just mad in general about the Biden administration, and so I want to change." Uh, so. 
all those kind of competing factors make it a little hard to say with certainty which way these races are going to come out. Yeah, uh, great analysis, great insight. Uh, Bill Shears, the contributing editor to Politico magazine and contributor to Real Clear Politics. Uh, Bill, we appreciate you joining us, and I'm going to tell everybody, make sure you remember the very first thing Bill said. As a voter, it's not about the polls. It's about voting for the right candidate. And so do your homework and then do your duty and go out and vote. Uh, Bill, thanks so much for joining us today. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care. All right, we'll step aside for one last commercial break. When we come back, some final thoughts on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Stick around. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.